This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. There's a whole bunch of well-meaning fitness professionals at this time of year say, oh, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions and I don't believe, like, you know, I'm not really a fan of it. But there's a certain energy this time of year, though, that uh, I think it's silly not to take advantage of. Like, I think it's there's something good about it, that, that it is a time for, for people to change and create new habits. Hello again and a very happy new year from me, Peter Bowes. This is the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I hope your 2018 has got off to a good start. It is the time of year when we are awash with advice and tips and inspirational ideas about new exercise regimes. This is the year that I'm going to go to the gym more regularly. This is the year that I'm going to get in shape. Well, we all know how that often turns out. So today I want to try to put that new year feeling into some perspective. I've come to Results Fitness in Santa Clarita in California. This has been my gym for the past 14 years and pretty much everything I know about working out has come from working closely with the coaches here. I'm joined by Alan Cosgrove who is the co-owner of the gym with his wife Rachel. Alan, welcome to the Lama Podcast. Thanks for having me, Peter. I'm right. excited for this one. Yeah, me too. I uh, refer to this, of course, as your gym, but I know you sometimes think of it more as a what a fitness laboratory. Yeah, it's like a little uh, research and development centre. That uh, right, right now we're in what we call the corporate office, yes. but across a, a, at the gym, that's our research and development centre. I like to think of it as your gym that I happen to own. That. Uh, that it's my members' gym, it's our, our clients' gym, and then my my goal is to provide the best training programs possible based on what you're looking for, and we test and track things. And I've got every single piece of workout data since we opened 18 years ago that we we go over and, and refine and try to constantly improve and always learn. Today okay. and today, January 2nd is what my co-author in, in my book series calls the National Day of Atonement. <laughs> like everyone tries to burn off the last six weeks of of, uh, of calories by, by going to the gym. Well, I want to talk about that and your scientific approach and also just your own personal journey, which I know has been quite a, a remarkable story. But uh, as you say, 2nd of January, January. For many people this day, it's the day of determination, the day that they are going to put all those bad habits behind them and embrace a new exercise regime and hopefully one that will stick with them throughout the year. What do you say to them? Well, I'm, I'm excited for you. Um, I've always told people it doesn't matter what you eat between Christmas and New Year's. It's what you eat between New Year's and Christmas that counts. We've got a, a whole day. So I'm, I'm, my goal is to support people. But the first part is this understanding that this is now a, it should be a lifelong journey. Like a quick fix programs don't exist. If they existed, that's what I would sell and I, I would be rich, right? And I would, they don't exist. Like it, it requires a method of training, a consistency, like a, a logical approach to slightly stressing yourself every time so that the body rebuilds and changes. So crash dieting and stuff like that, because everyone's trying to fix it by February 1, right? They're trying to fix everything they did by February 1. And it's just, not only is it not healthy, it's not realistic, I wish I could tell you that I'm here to tell you my secret 28-day program that will guarantee you six-pack abs, but it's, <laughs> it's not going to be things. How many times have we seen that headline? Oh, quite a lot, right? I often think that we should, if you are going to start at a point, that maybe the 1st of December is probably a, a better time because uh, you're going to face those tough weeks immediately. Yeah, yeah that, that's the thing. Is it, If you were to 
Imagine starting the new year five pounds lighter than you than you finished last year, right? Even with the, the holidays, right? Like that that would be cool. So it's a there's a whole bunch of well meaning fitness professionals at this time of year say, Oh, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions and I don't believe like you know, I'm not really a fan of it. And there, there's a certain energy this time of year though that uh, I think it's silly not to take advantage of. Like I think it's there's something good about it that, that it is a time for, for people to change and, and create new habits. And that's hopefully where I come in is that I can like the one thing I always say to people at, at Results Fitness. There's always a thing with with clients and, and members where they they're not always honest with their trainer, right? They'll maybe you know they'll cheat on their diet or they'll be trying something wacky. And I always remind them like not only did you join a gym, you hired an expert team, and we work for you and we'll support you in whatever you do. And my goal is to try to help you to. I want you to get to your your goal faster than you really want to get to it, right? But we have to be smart, and that that's where where I come in, like I said, is we've, uh, you know, if most people train five days a week in a year, that's about 250 training sessions. We've probably done more on a Monday on an average week by noon than most people do in a year. We've got that data to look at and, and see what's going on. So uh, that that's quite a, a cool little resource. Yeah, it is. And uh, there's something in what you say, I think, about having this time of year just to reset and to rethink and perhaps set some new goals. Because certainly I, I always spend the... That, that period between Christmas and New Year, you kind of assess the, the, the year mm-hmm. that's gone. Yeah. And there's just something psychological that's actually quite invigorating to look forward to a new year. And yes, you might want to correct some bad habits, but have some new goals as well. I think that's really powerful about it. it is for, I mean, it's, it's just a made up day in the Western lunar calendar, right? But it's still, there's something about it. There's something there, almost magical where it's, and I think the power of giving yourself a clean slate and just drawing a line in the sand and going, this is the new me, like new year, new you. That'll be everywhere. Like you'll have been reading that everywhere in the last couple of days. But a new year, new you, whole idea. I, I, like I, I'm never that cynical when I'm like, ah, I don't believe in resolution. I'm like, it's a great idea. Let's get let's get started on it. You know, let's let's go. And I, you know, I went through it myself with like when you, I think when you you think of it in the past too much. And when I was younger, I was in better shape. I did this and did this, and it can kind of lead to depression. And I think it's important that occasionally you give yourself a clean slate and, you know, like if tomorrow is the first day you've been in the gym in a while, it's a, you know, don't look back at what you were doing six months ago, clean slate and just progress and, you know, constant never ending improvement. Well, that train of thought is is very applicable to your life. So let's talk about it and Mm -hmm. go back to the beginning in Scotland as a young lad growing up. What kind of kid were you? Uh, I was I was quiet kid. I was kind of like a, a scrawny little kid in a in a town called uh, Deans in Livingston, and uh, it was a, a rough area. And for various reasons, I got really interested in in, uh, in martial arts. I think at some level, my dad worked nights, and I think at some level it was to be the protector. Like it, it's you know a, a psychiatrist would have a a field day with me is how a, a, a young kid becomes absolutely obsessed with, with martial arts techniques. And so I started in Taekwondo at a young age uh, and I, I started competing in that, which really led me into this field is that at some level, it, it black belt level anyway in Taekwondo, everybody knows Taekwondo, everybody knows martial arts. So you're not going to get a superior technique. You're only going to get a superior technician. And maybe the best example of this is boxing, where you look at, you know, someone like a, a Floyd Mayweather, there's only four punches in boxing, really. He just delivers them better than anyone else. Right? And, and I can show you them now, and you have the same knowledge of the, the skill set of boxing. It's just his application. So that sent me to college to study sports science. I went to college in in, uh, in Chester, in, in England. 
and with the, the sole selfish purpose of becoming uh, a better athlete and study training. And that, that's what I did. But now while I was there, and this is where your, your mindset uh, flips, is we did a, a class on, on health sciences. Uh, uh, and I forget the, the, the name, but it was really a general fitness program that I was very bored about having to do because it wasn't what I was interested in. And uh, the long story short, uh, I got an A in that class uh, for my, my essay, my, my program. And I'd given it to my mother uh, who was overweight in Scotland. Scotland at the time I think, had the highest rate of heart disease in Western Europe and probably the, the what my joke is always that it's the worst diet that there's kids in Africa starving but their mothers are saying to them it could be worse, it could be Scottish. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, great. When you say it's the worst diet in the world it's there's people who have no food and it would be worse to be Scottish. Right? <laughs> so, uh, and th- long story short my mum passed away of the heart attack due to obesity and the programme hadn't worked at all. So a programme that got an A in the academic world actually got an F. And it flipped my interest, although I was still competing in martial arts. I think I think even today, sport's never been better. We're seeing world records break all the time. You know, the, every Olympics, the world record is broken. Every, every time a swimmer gets in the pool, the, the records fall. But in the United States, at least, obesity is an all-time high. Mm. We're, we're failing the masses, and my, my, my industry is failing the masses. Well, much of the Western world, in fact. Yeah, so I, I became more interested in the the, the real person, right? As I mean, an athlete's a real person, but I became interested in the general fitness, and it it kind of uh, followed on on from that. And then, uh, I mean, you you know my story, but fast forward to around two thousand four, I was diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer. If everyone asks me like what caused it, we, we still don't know. It's environmental for sure. There's no family history of it. Uh, I had it in 2004. Went through chemo for about six months. Re- environmental but, covers a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it could almost mean anything. Yeah, it just it, it it appears not to be genetic. I mean, I think there's always a genetic factor. And um, just with with the first person in my family to to develop it, it, it there's no like trace there. Right. Um, so it's so- something else has, has triggered it. But I have a theory that on a scale of zero to ten, everyone has a likelihood of cancer, and at ten you get it. And maybe I'm sitting at a nine and do one thing wrong and get a mm. ten, and you're sitting at a one and do everything wrong and get to a nine point five, right? And, and we don't yeah. we don't know. But in 2004, I was diagnosed, and then I relapsed in 2006, and I had a, a bone marrow and stem cell transplant. And uh, that was one of my, when I talk about a clean slate, that's a, f- biologically a complete clean slate. Starting it's a, a from brand zero, new okay. system. Yeah, yeah, they call it day zero in the hospital. And, and uh, I think my own fitness and my own training was, was held back for a while after that because I was always comparing myself to when I was competing, when I was at you know, the World Championships, when I was winning the National Championships and the numbers I could do and the times I could run and the weight I could lift. And it was uh, one, of, one of my team... Uh, Craig Rasmussen, who actually said, you, you're comparing yourself to two bouts of cancer and 15 to 20 years ago. That is not a fair scorecard for anyone. You're never going to be happy. And he goes, why don't we have a clean slate and just completely start over? And it's, it's funny is that, that uh, you know, you, Craig learned from, from me, but the student becomes a teacher, right? Mm. That, that you're like, he's right. Like the, running the scorecard of being a 22-year-old Taekwondo phenom is, is not fair when you're you know you're 40 years old and you've had cancer twice. It's it's not mm. a realistic scorecard. But the progress from that clean slate, that idea of that 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 new year for for the listeners was magical. Like it was 
everything got better because I wasn't, huh, I used to could do this. This this does this isn't a good lift. This is slow. I used to could do I was this way, I was this leaner, I was stronger. But that sort of clean slate was really um a mental breakthrough for me. Uh like it just like a start without like forgetting where you'd come from, but just this uh no no preconceived notions of what you should be able to do. Just a a starting ground that this is this is a clean slate and we we go upward from here. You're obviously um you're a determined character, you're single minded, you're motivated. Take you back to the day that you were diagnosed with cancer. How did you deal with that and what were your first thoughts? Uh well, it wasn't a high point, let's just say. It wasn't like a high point. Um, the first thoughts were, you go through the stages, right? You know, denial, bargaining, you know, anger. Um, I forget the order, but I quickly moved into acceptance. And my whole life, I, I've always believed in, in, like if you had to fight in the UFC three months from today, the ultimate fighting championships, you could have anything you want anything you want to get you ready for it would you choose a book a dvd or would you choose the best coaches in the world and i i would obviously choose the best coaches in the world so very quickly i got to acceptance I wasn't happy but i got to like this is just this is how it is and i'm going to put my faith in people that do this at a high level and this was uh, stage four cancer yeah there's no stage five well there is there's just that's called he died of cancer, right? right? So it's um, so I, it was this idea that I would be an active participant. I was going to study, like, if there's anything I could do nutritionally that I wasn't doing, I was going to add it. If there's anything I could do, you know, lifestyle-wise, I could do it. And I, I think you and I have talked about this. I don't like the term alternative medicine. I, I believe complementary medicine is a better term. So at the time I was doing, you know, you know, nutritional stuff. I was doing acupuncture, but I was also doing traditional Western medicine. And it's now been well. That was two thousand four, and I, I relapsed in two thousand six, and I did the same same stuff. And uh, the um, it's now been eleven. It will be twelve years this year uh, since my since day zero, as you call it. Like that. That's the the complete reboot of your system. So it's. I think my. Do do you think the complementary approach worked? And do you have evidence that if you hadn't, say, been doing the acupuncture, that you might not have made such a, yeah, a quick I recovery? I mean, is it difficult? Is it possible to quantify? I, I don't. I don't think you could. I think you'd have to have my an identical twin getting the same. Like that. That's the issue with science, yeah. right? That it's really hard to get a. I'd have to, like, like, I was talking to actually my oncologist. Is that it's and it's real hard to implement a new procedure because there's a standard of care that I can't give you a placebo protocol to beat cancer to, to see if this new one works. That'd be unethical, yeah. right? So I just did everything that I knew how and um, obviously it didn't hurt. I'm not giving medical advice on this podcast. I, could it could it have hurt? Could it have made it slower? I, I don't know because it's, it's just N equals one. But I think as a, as a coach... N equals one is valuable information in the in the applied setting in the world that I work in is that 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 uh, I, t- I take one client one one member of the gym and I put them through a program and and they get in shape then that that wouldn't stand up to scientific scrutiny because it's only one but I can tell you you got stronger and you know you got stronger and we can measure that right so N equals one does count in the applied setting so. I just I think there's a weird sort of two schools of thought. The people that are all acupuncture and, and and herbalism and nutrition and everything is junk, 
and we just do Western medicine. And then we also have the chicken little, the sky is falling, the complete conspiracy that, that big farmers out to kill us. And I think as with as with most things, the pendulum is in the should be in the middle. Like we'll, we'll swing back and forth, but the, if you break your leg, you can sprinkle all the, the herbs and spices you want on it. That we've got a protocol that works there, right? So it's it's the I'm just really open minded to. I think a lot of coaches, in particular, a lot of people, they they want to be right, and I'm not interested in being right. I just want to be effective. And, and help my members so I, I refuse to some things will fall by the wayside at results fitness some some methods appear and disappear and I think it's the same as I mean acupuncture is what thousands of years old there, there's there's something there right like it doesn't go away and the the guy I was going to could barely speak English and was making money in, in California so must be doing something right yeah exactly you, know, so. you often I think you've referred to it already you talk about being reborn that's mm-hmm. day zero. Yeah. You talk about how just coming out of the hospital and experiencing the fresh air and, and the smells of, of the real world impacted you. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain that? Yeah, I think what, the impact that it had on you. We, we go through, uh, like if you're just sitting listening to this right now, like you're probably not, if you're sitting in your chair or you're sitting in your car, you're probably not noticing the weight of the chair on your right leg, right? You're not, not even aware of it. Right, because it's just there and you just ignore it. But look at the trees to the left of you. Look at all the amazing things that you're seeing. Like it's there's just a lot there. And it without without getting in into it too much, just this realization that that uh, this was always there and I was blind to it. Right? Like, you know, you get mad stuck in traffic, you know, you get irritated, but it's quite amazing to think all these people at, at this same point in their lives and yours just intersected wonder what's going on like it's like just a different level of like I don't want to say spiritual but it's just this different realisation that you, like this can be taken away from you anytime you want you're not guaranteed anything and for whatever reason I've been given extra days on this planet that a lot of people don't don't get and, and I, I don't know why and I just know I won't I don't take it for granted and I won't waste them and that's the I just like smelling food and sometimes when you know after the hospital you, you know you can smell a hospital it makes you sick yeah right like the, but there's smells that are nice and we're just like like we're sort of rushing through life too much we don't even take it in you don't even know like i said you don't even notice the weight of your right leg on the chair there right and that's constantly there that's real input and i think that's a that, that's one of the the sort of cooler thing cooler things about having cancer there's nothing cool about it but this uh like second chance, this little thing. It's, I don't feel like I was living life badly before, or I wasn't appreciating it. But it's it's interesting to look at it from a, you know, like I got a I got a clean slate. I got a second chance, and you're like, and I won't I won't waste it. Like just everything right. And what's interesting to me about that is that what you're describing really has nothing to do with being well again and not having cancer. Mm-hmm. It is just appreciating what has always been there and always will be there. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly it. It's um, I-, I had to go through that to appreciate it, and the listeners don't have to. You can just start appreciating it. Right? It's just because it's there, right? And it's it's this um, like I've asked you how many red cars you saw this morning. You, you weren't even trying to notice. But when I say it to you now, if you were driving, you'll start, they'll jump out of you. And it's just this, this sort of tuning into the, the awesome stuff, right? The cool stuff. Like it's just being a, like we seem to tune into the misery. We're constantly aware of the, 
you know, the politics and the wars and the, the sadness and you just kind of tune into the, the the cool stuff. And it's, yeah, it got nothing to do with, with being well again, although that was the stimulus that, that got me to see differently. And I think what you're talking about, I often think of the of three pillars of, of life and lifestyle. There's diet, there's exercise, and then there's the spiritual side. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be religious, although some people get a lot out of being religious. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're not religious, just a, a, an appreciation precisely as you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you, you can give it its, I suppose, an umbrella name of a spirituality. It's yeah. experiencing life around you. And I think those, if you get th- those three pillars right, you're doing pretty much everything you can well, remember to that live o- the best life you can. Remember that old Mars bar advert, work, rest and play? Well, one of my colleagues, uh, he talks about that work, rest, uh, play, and, and pray. And he was pray doesn't have to be anything to do with religion, but it, it's some maybe alone time. Like a lot of kids and a lot of athletes don't have any alone time. They're just constantly, never get time inside their own head, you know. So I think there's a, a part there that, uh, I mean, spirituality is as good a word as, as any. I think just this, this, this uh, perhaps introspection and realize that there's a, a lot of stuff going on along around you and and it's just important to just I want to say appreciate it but at least just take it in and one of the easiest ways to appreciate that I find is is as you've said solitude occasionally actually just pure silence whether it's inside a room or whether it's outside in a country lane it's the silence uh, and it isn't silent when you Mm. actually listen that's crazy noisy going on yeah (laughs) yeah there's there's so much stimulation when you're actually in in nature but I think it's the the um Everyone's sort of plugged in all the time, and it, it's massively advantageous that I can, you know, go visit family in Scotland, and I can I can take just a phone and access my email, and you know, and video, and and it's cool. But at the same time as you ever you know left the house and forgot your phone and turned around to get it, right? Like this, we're there's constant like it's like an umbilical cord we need plugged in. So there's a place for being completely unplugged, and uh, I think there's this. Uh, Downtime is important, and it it starts to be like your downtime is. It was taking a bath. Now it's taking a bath and watching Netflix, mm. right? And you know, there's never actual alone time. So I think there's a, a balance that there's a. If you're introverted, you 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 you're not you don't look, not like other people. You used to appreciate your own company, and you like being on your own. Uh, but you're still going to need to have some time with people. And extroverts like being around people, but they need to recharge by being being alone. But it's, I think it's missing. I think it's the, the you know, one of the the missing factors in fitness programs. I think is an attention to sleep and regeneration. And I think there's uh, for sort of overall all health. I think uh, some some alone time with your your own thoughts. And and I, I want to say no input, but that's impossible, right? It's just this tuning into something different. But I think there's something. There's something quite kind of cool there, like mm. a, a, a different level. Yeah, I agree with you. We skipped over slightly your journey from Scotland to the United States and eventually to to California. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what happened there? Uh, I was uh, there was an organisation in uh, when I was in in college that called um, I believe it still exists called BUNAC, which stood for British Universities North America uh, Club or, or camps that uh, organised visas for college students to come over and teach sports in the United States so uh, when I was doing my bachelor's degree I did uh, three summers over here I did um, teaching taekwondo at upstate New York 
And then the last time I applied, and I'm a citizen now, so it doesn't matter what I say. The last time I applied, instead of getting like a six-month visa, I got a five-year one. And I don't know if policies had changed, and I don't know if it was a mistake perhaps, but uh, it was really to, I could go on an educational program for longer. My mum had passed away the year before, and as I was leaving, my dad said to me, if you get an opportunity, you know, make sure you, you take it. You don't have to, you don't owe Scotland anything, you don't have to come back. And I I remember thinking I couldn't go back and look him in the eye and say, oh, there was no opportunity if I didn't try. So my plan was, while still taking college courses and figuring out what I wanted to be when I would grow up, that I would apply for a job at the end of the summer and go home in a couple of months, go back to Scotland in a couple of months. Well, I got a job training a, a boxer at a, a hotel in the Catskills. Actually, the hotel that was the... Uh, the inspiration for the movie Dirty Dancing, mm. right? They had, they had da- uh, dancing. There's this uh, Jewish country club resort that, that I worked at and I was training this boxer there. And then I worked at a gym in New York. And just shortly after that, I met my wife, who's who's from the town that we're in right now, from California. So it, it's funny. It's one of those... Uh, you ever see that movie with Gwyneth Paltrow, the Sliding Doors movie? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that like a, <laughs> a little one moment, right? And you're, you know... You decide to stay for a couple of months at the end of a summer job before you fly home, and you, you know you meet your meet your wife, and it, everything's different. Yeah, and it's pretty good here as well. well it's the sunny every day here. Yes, right? it's nice. <laughs> okay, let's so let's talk about the the gym. And I mentioned that I've been a member of your gym for some fourteen years now. And the one thing, and I've learned a tremendous amount, but the one thing I've noticed over the years is that things constantly change. Mm-hmm. And things that we did in terms of the, the workouts uh, 14 years ago, that they don't happen now. Some things still happen now. Yeah. There's some constants, but you have far fewer machines in the yeah. gym now than you did yeah. 14 years ago. What, what's the logic behind that? Well, some of it is the, well, we always do the best that we know how. And, but as science grows, but in a young field, I think I'm maybe the second or third ever graduating class in sports science like it's a, a young field and most of uh, most of my staff it's their first job in the in the field personally I didn't come up under another trainer like I'm sort of first generation it didn't really exist before that so and I'd say that is true as a whole most trainers have never had one or or learned under anyone so it, it's changing now but as the industry changes they 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 listen to us and some of the what we call fixed access equipment, which is more like a lever, right? Some of the stuff you saw in the beginning, that was the best there was then. And now we've got like the, the three-dimensional cable system that's it's like a, a free weight. Like it's just... And we our understanding of the, the human body uh, changes that we looked at heart. The heart is the most important muscle in the body. And, and, and don't, I don't want to be misinterpreted here. It doesn't make it unimportant, right? But the reason that that the heart demands to beat faster during exercise is because the muscles are asking for the oxygen. So the muscles are the driver for the cardio system. They, that's why running increases your heart rate because the muscles want it. So our understanding that the body works as a unit, you can't separate those two, that you can't, if you dropped a pencil on the floor, you're using every single muscle in the body almost to, to pick it up. You know, there's so many things going on that to isolate it with with single joint machines was just wrong things like crunches 
crunches for her abdominals were discovered by looking at cadavers and, and grabbing the ends of the muscle and pulling them together and watching what happened and thinking that's how you trained the abdominals. But in, in, a, in a, a live person, what the abdominals actually do, there's a space between the rib cage and the hips, it's just the spine. What the abdominals and lower back do is they stabilize that spine. They're designed to resist movement, not create it, right? Things like that we used to use the stability ball, you know, that we still have a couple of those in the gym, mm. and we did a lot of stuff on that, which created an instability for the body. But our thought process was to develop this instability from the bottom up, which is what the ball did. And then you see things now like the suspension training system, the yellow and black straps, that create uh, that instability from the top down so that you're on a solid base of support like life when you walk on the on the ground, unless you're walking on ice or, or something muddy. But the, the movement's creating around you, so it challenges the system uh, differently. So it's it's this relentless pursuit of improving. My co-author, Lou Shuler, in my book said, I, I have this intellectual restlessness that my, my primary driving force is there has to be a better way to do this. And that's constantly what we think and we'll... We're, uh, with the standard of care that we know what works, we'll tweak one or two things and see if it works better. And then we never planned on dropping things. I think it's like the, the original idea of, of the Ultimate Fighting Championships was to see which martial art was superior, whether judo would beat karate or jiu-jitsu would beat boxing. And as we fast forward, it's completely evolved to you need to know everything and some things fall by the wayside, and but there is no ultimate system. It's a mixed martial art, and that's how the term comes, MMA. It's a mixed martial art that becomes superior than any of the constituents. And that's what we've tried to do at Results Fitness, is we don't want to pick a side. We just want to see what works. And with our goal being the, the, the lens and our scorecard being, can we change the way fitness is done and improve your results, get you better results easier or faster than we could before, then that, that's sort of our scorecard, that's our litmus test. So things just naturally, things are constantly tweaking and, and adjusting, but it's never like this overhaul where we throw things out. And sometimes I get like, uh, I, mean, I don't know when the kettlebell sort of resurfaced and came back and then some of the, the DVRT, the sandbag stuff. I hope it doesn't work. I hope I don't have to buy 400 things <laughs> and rewrite all my programs, right? But then when you realise how powerful it is, you just can't ignore it if you've got any type of desire to be good at this. And that's how it, it changes. But it all changes through the, the filter of, can I get the job done better than we did it before? And you have a tremendous, probably more than most gyms, I think, a tremendous range of ages. Mm-hmm. You have young people in their 20s, maybe even some late yeah. teens, alongside the 60-year-olds and 70-year-olds yeah. working out and in often cases doing the same kind of work. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the workouts are, are more similar than, than different. It, it, perhaps scale in terms of uh, intensity. But my my 70-year-old deconditioned member has to get in and out of a chair pain-free, and that's a squat movement. And then my 17-year-old high school athlete who's trying to play American football, he needs to develop that leg drive for the sport. And one of the best ways to do that is through a squat movement. So I've got two, two people doing the same movement, but at different ends of the scale. But the human body is only capable of a few things, right? Which is really, you know, squat, lunge, hinge, push, pull, and twist. Everything falls into those categories. So if I have a human body, it's more similar than different. But... Obviously, an athlete may be doing things 
in terms of volume and intensity different than, than someone who's a little older. And But it doesn't, in terms of how hard you're training on your scale, I don't know if there's much difference. I've got some, you know, I always joke, I used to train a, a couple of, you know, young kickboxers, and I just was, you'd have hang with the, the mums in this gym. Like, they train just as hard as you do, and they don't, they're not even fighting, right? We had Sue Albert on the podcast uh, yeah. a few months ago. Her story is extraordinary. I'm usually she, good at, at identifying talent. I must confess, I didn't predict Sue's well, becoming she, a world champion. She told me as she walked in the gym on the first day that you... Well, you tell me what your first impression of her was, but it wasn't a positive one in terms of becoming she, a world She Yeah. Athlete. Sue did not want to be there. Sue's grumpy. Right? Her doctor sent her there for, for various health purposes. He's a very forward-thinking um, physician, and he sent her, because you need to start you know, doing some intentional exercise for your health. So she came in, and uh, she was just not happy. She was I called her Grumpy Sue, right, that she came in. And just to paint a picture, she was overweight. She had hypertension. If anyone, by the way, if you want to listen to the episode, it's episode 16. But she was she was very out of shape. Yeah, she was, she was completely, completely out of shape. She was probably 75 pounds overweight, a double knee replacement. We we do an assessment in the beginning. Assessment's maybe a wrong word, like a screen, where I look at how you squat, lunge, move. And Sue just refused to do anything that required her to bend her knees. She just refused to do it. Like, this would be bad for me. I'm not doing that. And she, she was a challenge, right? And, uh, man, God bless her, she's... Here we are, fast forward, and she's not only bends her knees, she bends her knees at her age better than any powerlifter in the world, right? And she's she's went from from uh, from someone who did not want to be here and was grumpy to a world champion in, in powerlifting. It's just it's just kind of kind of cool. I'd love to take credit for that, but it's absolutely all to do with her and just a little guidance from us. Mm. But it's great inspiration for anyone else in, in that position. That, yeah, it's uh, never over, you right? Can achieve what you really honestly believe is impossible. At you the time. can you can start training for the first time in your late sixties after a double knee replacement and become a world champion. Like it's never too late. It's never too late. It's so cool. <laughs> How do you view your own longevity? And um, we've talked about what you've been through, but as you look ahead, as you consider your 50s and 60s and, and, and 70s, what's your attitude towards growing old for yourself? Uh, after cancer, I'm excited that I have the opportunity, right? It's so much better than dying young. Right. Uh, I think that the, um, the idea of living, living long only excites me if I'm going to be functional, Right? And I think the fitness industry has, um, we, we've done that wrong, is that we thought, and, and now, again, my disclaimer here is I'm not saying this is unimportant, we thought heart health was the most important, and I'm seeing people, like, I was back visiting visiting my dad uh, recently, and his heart's in good shape, but he's had a hip replacement, he's a hard time getting in and out of a chair, It's a hard time getting up and down stairs, like his structure, his muscular skeletal system is the limiting factor. His ability to take in and use oxygen is not the limiting factor in his life, which is what we always thought. We thought aerobic training was the, the most important thing. And then we thought it was strength training for the muscle system. And now we're probably starting to embrace closer to the truth that it's probably power training. We lose power and the ability to pr- produce force five times faster than we lose strength. And uh in the untrained population, we lose about 8% of our maximal anaerobic power every decade from 20. 
So it, it completes, and if you try to walk up a flight of stairs in slow motion, you'll realize that there's a speed component to it. There has to be power. Have you ever seen an older person fall? It's horrific because they, they can't move fast enough to save themselves. And we've done them a disservice by babying them and having these slow, very safe programs. It doesn't even, it's not even like getting in and out of a car. It's not even like coming, like slipping on ice or missing that bottom step and being able to recover. Right? So I think being being 100 and not able to get in and out of a chair is not, that's not mastering aging to me. Is that being, you've probably seen the, the, the picture of a 70-year-old triathlete's muscle and it's indistinguishable from a 20-year-old. So we we have a, a cheat code for this and it's called exercise and training. Like it's, it's like a cheat code for a video game that we just have to, to use it like you can only live you need air water and food you can live not very long without air you can live a little longer if you've got air and no water but not real long and you can live even longer without food but eventually you need that too i think you need power training strength training and you need cardiovascular conditioning but in that order and that the power training is what's going to keep you young the power and strength and it will develop the cardio system your ability to just and again, not unimportant, just less important than the other two. I think that's that's my uh, my goal is. And I think we're seeing things now like, um, if I said a master's athlete, people understand what that means. And it doesn't mean like high skilled. It just means somebody over the age of whatever the sport is, 35, 40, 45, 50, right? They, they, uh, they're still competing. But we're not asking you to compete against the 19, 20, 25-year-olds. But there's still like real competitive sports, right? There's still something there that when we start looking at physiology, that decline that we think should happen at, at 40, 50, 60, 70 may, may not, may be completely avoidable because we can do interventions. Like I said, is that the, the reason there's weight classes in combat sports is the idea that the bigger guy is stronger, the reason they separate males and females is the idea that the male is stronger. With that idea, then strength training is like a cheat code again. Like it's the thing, if I could get a female stronger than a male, she has a massive advantage. That would be a, an even playing field. Well, when biologically we're losing power at five times the rate that we lose strength and we lose strength and we lose muscle mass, what if I had something that could stop that? Right? And I do, but we all do. Right? It just requires a sort of disciplined approach to it you know and that, that's what you know we, we try to do it at results fitness when you can you can take a 65 year old as a beginner and turn them into a world champion yeah absolutely and and one of the greatest inspirations for me is and not only in the gym and seeing people like sue and working out alongside her but is going to triathlon events and seeing the 70 year olds the 80 year olds the 90 year olds who've been doing the same triathlon for for several decades yeah. and they're still doing it and they crucially are competing yes within their own age group but getting such a kick out of, of yeah. doing that at their age and just the fact that they they can do it and they've, they've done it with that that clean slate we talked about earlier that they're not comparing themselves to their 20 year old self because that would drive them nuts at how much slower they are they're comparing themselves to the, the other 19 year olds and seeing who's the biggest strongest and fastest and, I but, think and that, that's every bit as exciting. I mean, yeah. as, as a 55-year-old, comparing myself to other 55 or 67, whatever you are, comparing yourself to your peers is in itself exciting yeah. and a lot of fun. Well, that's the thing I've been working on this, this last year on, on my, my, my sort of social media is this hashtag fittest cancer survivor on the planet. That this uh, re refusal to accept 
that I can't be in great shape, but this understanding that I'm not starting from the same start line as I was before, right? But this idea that you you against you is still cool, but you against your peers, there's a, there's something there. And I think that at some level, I think um, competition, whether it's a formal 5K race or a triathlon or a an obstacle course race, we've we've got, you know, Royce at the gym doing the Spartan races, and, which is just... Tremendous, right? And, and he's um, what seventy three. Yeah, he's seventy three. Yeah, seventy three flying around the country to do obstacle course racing. Mm. Um, I think it's the cool part is just looking at your own times. Like something to there, there's a place for a scorecard, and I think that's the one of the missing factors in people who start exercise programs is record keeping, because I, I I want to look back at your program from last year and make sure that you're better. Now, maybe not you've doubled your strength, but are we 1%, 2 3% better? Because if we do nothing, we're backsliding, right? There, there, is no, there is no neutrality in physiology, right? There's, there's no, um, for fat loss, there is no state of the body where nothing's happening. If you maintain your weight for a year, it just meant that the amount of fat storing and fat burning completely balanced out, right? But there's no state when nothing's happening. So understanding that if you did nothing right it's it's the fastest way to lose muscle and the fastest way to gain fat we're starting from a minus point anyway so anything we can do to keep the the needle moving the other way is is quite powerful i think you you're right about record keeping because i know you obviously and you've mentioned that you do it in the gym you have all of my workouts and every other member's workout mm-hmm. since the day that you started and personally i, I keep my own records of triathlon times and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing triathlons are a little frustrating because they're not always the same length yeah so you can't really always compare i think like that's what's, what's cool about doing the same race again yeah like when you do the, when you can go back to the same race, you're, you've got a good scorecard there. But when you do two different events, there's little. It, even the terrain can be different. The weather can be different. Yeah, but even so, just just the principle of keeping those records, comparing. You're only competing with yourself, and mm-hmm. and I think that's a it's a great sort of baseline to to work from to yep. m- to move to to the future. So as we move to the future, and we started by talking about New Year, New Year inspiration. What's your best advice to someone who? gets to that point in February when that motivation that they might be feeling today begins to wane. Okay, so there's... I remember seeing one of these commercials for one of these weight loss medications and it said when diet and exercise don't work, take this pill. Well, diet and exercise always work. They just don't work as fast as you would like sometimes. So the first part is commit to the process, not the outcome. When you're chasing the outcome, there's the, um, I think it was um, P. Diddy or somebody or, who said, um, don't chase the paper, chase the dream. But you've never had that on your podcast before, <laughs> right? That chase the, you're, you're chasing the um, the outcome was the money, but yeah. the dream of being the rap star was, was the, the goal. I think you have to commit to a process when it comes to exercise, uh, not an outcome. So if the outcome is, is to lose 10 pounds of fat, then 9.9 is an absolute failure. Right? It's an absolute failure if 10 is the outcome. But what if we just set a goal of 100 workouts? Three a week for 33.3 weeks. Right, Just set a goal of 100 workouts. And no matter what, you just check off the boxes. You just punch the clock and clock in and you do the 100 workouts. Right, And then once you've done that, once that motivation has waned, you're, you're in February, you're four weeks in, you've done 12. 
clock off the next one. You can quit tomorrow, but just clock off the next one. And when you clock off that next one, you can quit tomorrow then if you just clock off the next one, right? And I have a, we had a rule when we're competing in, in Taekwondo that you could miss any workout you wanted after the warm up. You just show up, warm up, and if you want to leave, you can leave. But while you're there, you'll end up, I mean, assuming you're not ill, something like that, right? But I'll do that. Like if you're super rushed and you're not ready to train, we'll just do one set of everything, Peter, just one. And then when you're here, you'll just get it done. So it's really committing to that process and understanding that you're changing yourself, right? Your cells are regenerating and it's just going to take time. But think of it as we're just going to do the process. The outcome will take care of itself if you take care of the process. If you eat right at the next meal, just get your protein and your vegetables in and drink your water and then just do the next one. Trust me. Give it the 100 workouts, right? <laughs> and things will happen. Yep. You've mentioned your book a couple of times. Just tell us uh, what it's about. And uh, I've, got a, I've got a couple. A couple of books in the... the it's funny because uh, one of them is now... The first one's now 12, 13 years old. The New Rules of Lifting. So we did a bunch of sequels, me and my co-author, Louis Schuller, which the idea was at the time there hadn't been a beginner's guide to exercise in so long. Everybody wanted to write an advanced one. And we, we wanted to write the, the title didn't come from us. We wanted to write the new rules based on the science that we have now. This is what exercise looks like. So fast forward with a bunch of, it's like the sixth one is, you know, called the new rules again, right? So, and then the one we did uh, last year was called Strong, which was aimed at females. And I'll, I'll be blunt, it's, that's completely a commercial decision from our publishers because the programs would work just as well for men. Right? But it's really that, um, Everything that I know now is there, right? Like that, and that's what we do. It everything I knew then when we we sent it to the publisher is there. Like that's the idea: is that we were wrong about things in our field. We were wrong about aerobics being the fat burning magic. We were wrong about static stretching being this injury prevention magical tool. We were wrong about crunches, and I completely accept that. We didn't lie. We did the best we knew how. But science has shown us different things, and. Uh, as tools change, like that, you know, knotless machines and, and things like that, I've just really fallen by the wayside because there's a better way to do things. So these books, are, it's when you when you don't live in town, you can't come to Results Fitness. I guess it's a or, or one of my affiliates. You you, you uh, I guess it's the next best thing to having me work for you. But it's really the um, the best way I would like to have described it is those books were written, although they're a few years old now. The, the newest one, it's really written as a beginner's guide to weight training based on what we currently know to be true in the scientific community, with the caveat that everything in them is probably wrong, and time will prove that to be true. <laughs> I like your attitude. Well, I've, I've seen these books. They're, they're, yeah. they're good books. Now, I'll put the details on the show notes for this episode. Just a, a final thought, and again, I know you've we've talked about this before, your attitude towards life and good days and great days yeah i sort of stole that from from um from lance armstrong um after cancer there can be no bad days that's the reality and it's the if you're having a bad day right now go down to the cancer ward and talk to some of those kids in the in pediatric cancer ward and explain how how crappy your commute was today right and how the weather stinks right and and you realize that like a uh, and, and I don't want to be like like um, I'm constantly walking around, you know, deliriously happy. But this this realization, I, that, I know you, and I know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> that this realization, realization that man, it's um, it, it's kind of like 
we we have a a role here, and whether you're spiritual or not, right? I think that we all have a purpose here, and maybe it's not something to do. Maybe it's someone you have to become, right? And like I said, I've been given these extra days on on the planet. Everyone says to me, "Oh, that means you've got work to do. You've got something to do." And I don't know what it is, but I haven't done it yet, obviously. But that whole idea that it really is a fun time to be alive, like like it's that we just it's a, a philosophy of results fitness. Only good days and great days. So on your, you know, you wake up and you're not, you're alive and you're breathing, you're like, pretty good. We started off on the right foot, right? And that's really, a, it's a kind of an odd philosophy to have, but when you start really embracing it and just refusing to say you're having a bad day, that it's just a good day, right? Then you start to think of things like it's stuck in traffic becomes fascinating, <laughs> right? That you're able to have a car and sit there listening to music, right? Like it's it's a... Like I said, I don't want to be like I'm a, a delirious little goofball, but it's it's a, my my philosophy on life. Yeah, it's a great philosophy. Alan Cosgrove, really enjoyed this. Thank you very much indeed. Cheers, Peter. Thanks for having me. And just before we go, a reminder that there are several ways to listen to us and to get in touch. You can visit the Live Long and Master Aging website, LamaPodcasts.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. The site is constantly evolving with new information, complete back catalogue of our interviews. We'll soon be celebrating our 50th episode and if you're listening on a platform where you can leave a review like apple podcasts or stitcher a five-star review would be hugely appreciated if you think we deserve it it helps to grow the podcast and to secure its future many thanks for listening FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate our skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.